in school where they could buy books and and different toys and things. I forget what the, what is that called when they have that in school. Scholastic. scholastic is that like a scholastic thing? Yeah. So you they have a bunch of books out and and the parents give them money and and the kids can buy buy whatever they want from the hallways. And so we did that. We gave our our children money and and Wesley came home one day. This is right around Christmas time. Wesley came home, I think the first or second week in December, with a gift wrapped in red wrapping paper with a sticker on it that said, To Dad. And he said, I couldn't open it until Christmas time. And so that little gift sat there on the mantle and then went under the tree when we finally got the tree up. Um, and I was very uh, eager to open that gift. So what did my little boy, four years old, buy his daddy? Christmas Day came, and I opened the gift, and it was a little wooden plaque with the words painted on it, Joy to the World. And that was a gift from my, the first gift that my son has ever given me. And I think it was from a five or four year old boy. And he was, so, he was so excited that he gave his daddy a gift. Now here are the facts about that situation. Number one, I could have bought that myself. Right? I wasn't in need of a little plaque that said joy to the world. Number two, I'm the one who actually supplied the money for him to get it in the first place. So here's the, here's the question. Why will that wooden plaque remain so precious to me throughout my whole life? If I didn't need it, and I gave him the money to get it, why will that gift be one of the most precious things to me for my whole life? The answer, of course, is because he took what I had given him and he redirected it back to me. So it's redirection. He took the money I had given him and he used it to bring me joy. That is the essence of Christian stewardship. And that is what we're talking about today. Redirecting back to God what he has given to us for his glory. I want you to understand, I want to invite you to a perspective in which all of life is stewardship. Your entire life is about stewardship from your possessions to your abilities to your relationships, your opportunities, your passions. Whatever you have has been given to you by God to steward for his glory. So this is the last installment of our For God and Godliness sermon series. And the, the question we've been answering is, how can we grow? Well, growth is not just a matter of intake. It's a matter of giving out, too. We talked about that last week. Church is not just about yourself. It's about others around you. Stewardship, your money, your possessions, your ability is not just about yourself as a Christian. You've been bought with a price. And now, having been bought, 
Your call is to steward what God has entrusted to you for his glory. One writer said, Stewardship is not just one, thing, one more thing we have to do, but it is a way of seeing everything we already do in a different light. And I think that's a good way to think about it. Not just another, it's not just another discipline. All right, I gotta be, I gotta do stewardship today. That's not the idea. It is, it is a way of viewing your life as a recipient of God's resources that He has called to, called you to steward for His glory. So, I want to give you a theological foundation for stewardship, three motivations for stewardship, and three spheres for stewardship. So one foundation, three motivations, three spheres for stewardship. First, the foundation. By definition, a steward is somebody who manages the possessions of another. That's what a steward is, somebody who manages the possessions of another. Therefore, all your life you should see as stewardship. Because everything you have has been given to you by God. If everything's been given to you by God, then you are by definition a steward. You are managing the resources and possessions of another person. The Apostle Paul used this very principle to undercut pride in the Corinthians, who was a singularly confusing and immature church. Um, the Corinthians were actually boasting in their spiritual gifts boasting the fact that they spoke in tongues or they had certain gifts. What a, what a confused way to go about church life. But the Apostle Paul comes in to this situation in 1 Corinthians 4, 7 and says, For who sees anything different in you, really? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? So if you received the spiritual gift... Why are you boasting as if you did not receive that gift? It is the prideful heart that insists that his abilities are somehow created from out of himself in his own ingenuity. That's the prideful heart that thinks it can create things ex nihilo. From out of nowhere, I've gotten this talent, this ability, this money, these possessions by my own strength and power. The correct way, and Paul simply undercuts that assumption here. He says, why do you boast as if you did not receive what you had? He simply undercuts the idea that you are the source of your own abilities. The correct way to think about what you have is to think about it as someone who has been given something by God. You are a steward, not a creator. So you might say, oh, Eric, you know, simple, sweet Eric. Talk, there he is again, talking about just blanket statements. Pie in the sky. What's that? Pie in the sky. Yeah, pie in the sky. And you might say, well, Eric, listen, I've worked for my own money. You know, I've, I've worked hard, and so you have. And... Well done. It's good that, that you've worked hard for your money. But what I'm inviting you here is to a deeper conception of your life even. 
a deeper conception of your ability to work. There's a very interesting passage in Deuteronomy 8, 17 and 18. God says to Israel, Beware, lest you say in your heart, My own power and the might of my hand has gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He that gives you power to get wealth. That has always struck a chord with me. That God said it's, Beware, lest you say, that I am the source of my own wealth and power and abilities. Because it's me who is giving you the strength to get power and wealth. Now that was true for Israel. I want to say how much more true is that of Christians who are actually indwelt by the Spirit of God in a way that Israel was never indwelt. In this New Covenant era, we actually have the Holy Spirit, so that Paul says, I struggle with all his might that he powerfully works within me. So if that's true for, for Israel, it's, it's more true for a Christian. So I'm inviting you to a perspective shift on your life. And if you resolve to review everything you have as a steward, I believe it will sow humility in your heart. And you won't feel like you're losing something when you give it away. See, if you, view, if you view yourself as a creator, as someone who's earned everything, and in a sense you have, but if you insist on being an earner and a creator, you're going to feel like you're losing something when you've given it away, like a piece of you is being taken away. But if you see yourself as a steward, you're seeing yourself as a channel through which God's blessings flow. And that is how you can be useful to the Lord. So, even though I just hinted at it, let's talk about motivations. Why would, why would I want to redirect back to God what he has given to me? Why would I want to do that? This is a problem with the, with the prosperity movement is they will agree with what I just said, but then not agree on what I'm going to say about the redirection. They'll agree on the receiving part, but they're not, they're not going to agree on the redirecting back to God. So the prosperity gospel views Christians as a dam where the water is just kind of stopped up and located in a, and contained in a certain area rather than a river through which God's blessings flow. I want you to be a river, not a dam. So three motivations. The first motivation for Christian stewardship is worship. And that's the highest motivation. You can use everything you have and you can offer it to the Lord as a sacrifice, a free will offering to the Lord. I want to read you just a few passages from the book of Exodus, chapter 35. Do you know how the Lord built the tabernacle? He built the tabernacle with stirred hearts and willing spirits. That's how he built the tabernacle. Exodus 35, verse 4. 
Moses said to the congregation of the people of Israel, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. Every skilled craftsman, this is verse 10, let every skilled craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded. Verse 21, and they came, everyone whose heart stirred him, and everyone whose spirit moved him, and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting, and for all its service, and for the holy garments. So they came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart, brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets and all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord. What a beautiful picture of God's people coming around and contributing to the Lord's agenda in the world. Verse 26, And all the women whose hearts stirred them used their skill and spun goat's hair. Verse 29, And all the men and the women and the people of Israel whose hearts moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done brought it as a freewill offering to the Lord. I love that passage. A community gathering around, sacrificing gold and precious things to be melted down and reconstituted for something that God would use to be worshipped in. So, I believe a free will offering is what you can do with what God has entrusted you with. The, the, that term free will offering, the free will offering actually became a unique type of offering in Israel. And its distinctive aspect, its distinctive mark was the stirred heart and the willing spirit of the sacrificer. So, how does your heart stir you? How does your spirit move you? to give a free will offering to the Lord. I think in the 90s it was, we used to sing a song, every blessing that God has poured out, we turn back to praise. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. May that be true of us. You can turn it back to praise through a free will offering for the Lord's sake. So that's one motivation for redirecting God what he has given to you. Redirecting back to God what he has entrusted you with because you can use it to worship him with a stirred heart and a willing spirit. Number two, second motivation. You should redirect back to God what he has given to you because you will be held responsible to steward faithfully what he has entrusted you with. I'd like to invite you to turn your Bibles to Matthew 25. In Matthew 25, Jesus is speaking about parables of the kingdom. In the parable of the talents, a familiar passage, familiar parable, 
I think touches on the idea of stewardship. How will we handle the resources, abilities, opportunities that God has given us? How will we handle the life that God has given us? So starting at verse 14, and I'll read through 29. For it, that is the kingdom of God, the end, when this is especially towards the judgment seat. Sometimes people split, the t there are two different judgments, judgments for rewards, judgments for life. However you view, view that, this is talking about judgment. And the kingdom of God will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To the one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each to each according to his ability. I, th I think that's very interesting. To each according to his ability. I think God gives us what we can handle. Right? And so... Some, some, some men he's given a lot because he's, he's called them too much, but some men he's given less, and you can still steward that for his glory. Each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded them, and he made five talents more. So also, he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who, who had received one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of the servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Now just pause there for a minute. Would you not want to hear those words? Well done, good and faithful servant. I, I know I do. And I suspect you do too. That would be the most beautiful thing a human ear could ever hear. Well done, good and faithful. When you go to the kingdom and you see him face to face in awful and awesome holiness, burning and shining. And he looks at you and says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. There could be no greater honor bestowed upon a child of man than that phrase. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little, I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he, who also had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two more talents. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Now he also who had received the one talent came forward saying, 
Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid, and I hid, went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown, and gather where I had not scattered seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was mine with interest. So take the talent from him, and give it to him who has the ten talents. For everyone who has more, who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, that is, does not have anything to offer, even what he has will be taken away. What will we offer to God when we go to be with Him? What will we offer to God? Notice that the wicked servant is guilty of premeditated unfaithfulness. He, he premeditated unfaithfulness. He didn't actually think about how to be useful to the Lord, the kingdom, he hid it in the sand. And his master said to the faithful, he said, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little, I will set you over much. So I believe this passage is teaching that a vital aspect of discipleship to Christ is taking those God-given abilities and resources that he has entrusted to you and using them to advance his kingdom in the world. We are responsible to faithfully steward what God has entrusted to us. And here's the thing. It seems that God is very interested in how we do this. How you're investing in his agenda in the world. What will you offer? What will I offer back to him in the kingdom? How will we build upon Christ's foundation? One of those sermons, I think that young, restless, reformed movement of about 20 years ago was so good for the church because it woke people up. So it was Paul Washer's shocking youth message but one of the other sermons that shook people was John Piper's seashell sermon. And uh, in that sermon, John Piper asked to thousands of young teenagers, he asked them what a tragedy, what a tragic life looks like. And he compared... missionaries with a retired couple and one retired couple he was reading in the reader's digest about one retired couple who retired in their 50s and now they bought a big yacht and they spend their days collecting seashells on the sand and then there was he compared it to two old women I believe in their 70s, who became missionaries and died in a car accident driving to some mission. 
So which one, which one, which life is a tragedy? He said the seashell life is the tragedy. That's the tragedy. A life that gives no, nothing to advance God's kingdom in the world. And Piper, in one of the most cutting paragraphs I've ever heard or read, says, one of the really sad things, this is in his sermon, he says, one of the really sad things about this moment right now is that there are hundreds of you in this crowd who do not want your life to make a difference. All you want is to be liked. Maybe finish school, get a good job, find a husband or a wife, a nice house, a nice car, long weekends, good vacations, grow old, healthy, have a fun retirement, die easy, and no hell. And that's all you want. You don't give a rip if your life counts on this earth for eternity. That's a tragedy. That's a tragedy. Not dying for the work of the Lord. What are you going to offer to the Lord? Seashells in the kingdom? What are you going to say to the Lord? Look, Lord, my car. What are we going to offer to the Lord? I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I don't want to offer him a bloated retirement account. I want to offer him what is precious in his eyes. So we're going to be held accountable. How are we going to sell? What are we going to offer to the Lord? Your life is a garden that God has given to you. Plant and water for his kingdom. And don't waste your life. That was, that was Piper's message that has had an effect on me and probably many of you as well. Do not waste your life on earthly pursuits. I have a great, the great book here by John Piper by that title, Don't Waste Your Life. I have a new copy. I have found this on my um, bookshelf yesterday. Who would like this copy of this book? It's a very good read. Anna? All right, this is yours. Come get it after service. Your life can count for something. To put it positively, your life can count for something. God is interested in how you are stewarding his response, his, his ability, your abilities, your opportunities, the resources he has given to you. Your life can count for something. You can actually build upon Christ's work with precious stones. And here you are. You sit here alive and well, breathing and healthy. So don't harden your hearts while it is still called today. Do not grieve. Don't grieve the past. Press forward towards the goal and consider making your life count for eternity in thoughtful, 
and perhaps even radical ways. Now, with that said, you are responsible to take care of your family. So I, I have, I don't want to say I have no respect, but it's a very confused man who keeps his family destitute so that he can offer to the Lord. I don't think, I think that gets it backwards. The Lord has given you your family. So you should steward your family for his glory. And part of that is providing for them, protecting them, and even we're told in Scripture that a good man leaves some money for his grandchildren, even. So I'm not against retirement accounts and savings, and I'm not, you should do that. We should all do that. That's being a good steward. That's part of being a good steward. But ultimately, I would like to give and sacrifice for God's glory as much as I can. So, worship is one motivation. Responsibility and actually making your life count for God's glory is another. Reward is the third motivation held out to us in Scripture. And by that I mean you can build upon Christ's work with things that are precious to him. Things that he actually values. And this is not a matter of salvation. So if all you want is to not go to hell, that's all you'll get. But let me hold this out to you as well. In 1 Corinthians 3, 12-15. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold and silver and precious stones, wood, hay, and straw... Each one's work will be manifest, for the day will disclose it. The day will manifest what kind of work it is. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. That means like by the skin of your teeth, you'll come out with smoke, smelling like smoke because the fire was so close to you. But if all you want to do is miss hell, you can do that. That's an option. But if you want your life to count for something, build upon Christ's work with precious stones, gold and silver, Gold and silver and precious stones in that passage represent things that are costly. They're costly. That's why they're precious. Gold is valuable. Silver is valuable, especially then, too. But if you use what is valuable and costly to you to build upon Christ's work, that is precious to him. That's very precious to him. And some of you have sacrificed in costly ways. And I admire you. But if you build on Christ's work with what's just abundantly available, wood and hay, I can go out right now and, buy, and get a bundle of wood. 
but I can't get a bundle of gold. That, that, a bundle of gold would be something I've stored up for a long time. That's very precious, but then I give it to the Lord's work. A bundle of wood I can get in 10 seconds from the woods and just lay it at the feet of Jesus. So how are you going to build on Christ's work? With what, with what is precious and costly? with what is abundant and available. You know there's treasures in heaven and there's treasures on earth. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth or rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. So what is he talking about? He's talking about making a good investment with your money. At our church meeting, we decided to make a good investment with our savings account. That's a wise thing to do. Put it in an account that is actually yielding some fruit. Thank you, Budget Committee, for looking into that, by the way. And Stefan did a great job doing a lot of research on that. So making a good investment, though, with, our, with the resources that God has given us. When I was a banker, I saw people made, make very bad investments. And I remember there was one teenager at one point in time who he got hurt somehow when he was younger and he got a $40,000 settlement paid in two installments. And I was telling him he walked in with a $20,000 check one day. And as a banker I said, well, you should invest that in something that would, would yield more money. That would be a wise thing to do. And I did, even did some calculations. And I said, you know, if you invest that for, tw for 30 years at like 3%, I mean, that could be like $200,000 when you're 50, maybe even more. Right? I mean, that, that, that $20,000 could be hundreds of thousands of dollars in 30 years. And so I was really pressing him on that. I said, you have an opportunity to really save up some money and, and, and store up for the future. Well, a few weeks went by. He did not. He did not take my wisdom on this. But when he walked back into the bank, here's what he spent his money on. And I'll never forget this. And I know some of you have heard this before. When he walked back into the bank he told me what he spent the money on. And it was, number one, a new ATV. 18 years old. New ATV. Multiple tattoos. And one massive silver and diamond necklace with a skull pendant on it. I think with ruby eyes. And a set of gold teeth. He was white, by the way. So, so that's how so new ATV few tattoos 
a massive silver necklace with a skull pendant with ruby eyes, and a set of gold teeth. Scrawny, 18-year-old white child. That might seem like a good investment for an 18-year-old. But when he is 50, I wager that if he could go back, he would spend his money differently. Do you think so? I think so. I think that many things that are important to us in our life now, things that may seem to be a good investment now, will be rottenness in the kingdom. And we could wish we would turn around and invest in it, invest in, it in different ways. Jim Elliot is one man who invested in the kingdom with his life, who died and was killed by native, some kind of, I don't know what you would call them, Indians? Was that? Headhunters. Headhunters. So he died trying to get the gospel to foreign lands, was killed. But, before he died, he had a quote that's very famous. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That's exactly right. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So, we can, we can take nothing out of this world with us. No material thing. But you can store up treasures. Your life can count in the kingdom. So those are three biblical motivations for redirecting back to God what he has given to you. All right? Reward, responsibility, but most importantly, worship. A free will offering to the Lord. Now, three spheres of stewardship. And what I mean by spheres of stewardship is areas of your life that you need to start thinking about in terms of stewardship. First of all, and perhaps you could make more areas, but these are three important ones. First of all, family. God has entrusted every one of us with relationships, family relationships. So who are you in relation to other people? For example, me, I'm a Christian. I am also a husband and a father. And I'm also part of this body. So that's who I am in relation to other people. I'm also a child. You think about it that way too. Or a son. Not a child, but a son. Now, to adopt the mind of a steward then, to adopt the mind of a steward would be to look at those relationships as relationships which God has entrusted to me. Not ones I just happen to have, but as relationships that I've been entrusted with. So husbands and wives, that's your most important relationship. Um, you should be praying together. You should be having, you should encourage godly conversations with one another. You should be studying or discussing scripture together. You should be encouraging Christ likeness in one another. 
Husbands especially, you should be sacrificing. And you should you should be not Christ, but you should be the Christ figure in your home. The one who represents him to your wife. Wives, you should submit to your husbands and enable them to lead. Fathers, he's entrusted you with children. How will I present my children to him? Will I raise them in the fear and instruction of the Lord? Fathers, you should be doing family discipleship. You should talk with your children about the scriptures. You should read the Bible daily with them, or a few times a week at least, and you should pray with them. You must be doing this. You are in sin if you're not doing that. Think about a catechism for your children too. A New City Catechism is very good. You should be stewarding those relationships that God has given to you for your glory. Now you might say, well, what if, what if I failed? What if that time has passed? Well, you can still steward them through prayer. And it is your responsibility to pray even harder that God sows life into your child. That his will be done in his child. That you can still be an influence in their life. That they would repent and believe. You can still steward your children through prayer. Do not give up on your children. Love hopes all things and love believes all things. Right? So if love hopes all things and love believes all things, it is the loving thing to hope and believe that your children can still be redeemed by Christ. They are not lost as long as they stand there. So, commit yourself to prayer and fasting for your wayward children. So, family. And I, we could obviously teach a whole course on each one of these spheres, right? <clears throat> but I don't think you want me to do that right now. This is just a sermon. I'm just getting it out there. But family is one sphere. Next, money. You should use your money. Think about using your money as an offering to the Lord. The Philippian church sent the Apostle Paul a financial support. We read in Philippians. And Paul calls it in Philippians 4.18. Here's how he calls their financial support. Or here's how he refers to it. He refers to it as a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. A fragrant offering, sacri a, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Is your money a fragrant offering? Did you know you could make your money a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God? I, I've heard this before, but you don't just give to ministries, you, have, you give through ministries to God. There's, a, there's an element in which that is true. This is God's ministry, or this is God's person, so I'm giving through and to. I 
I asked the men yesterday, are you honoring the Lord with your wealth? This is always a strange thing for a pastor to be talking about. Trust me, I don't want your money. But are you honoring the Lord with your wealth? Again, I would be in sin if I did not tell you to honor the Lord with your wealth. And ask yourself, am I the kind of person that God would want to give more money to? What do I do with my money once I have it? What would I do with more money? What would I do with a million dollars? Would I be a channel through which God's generosity flows? What would I do with that once I, once I have it? The point here is not to um, lay guilt on this congregation right now. The point is to encourage you to live your life as a, a living sacrifice. Now, with regards to money, the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, 6-8, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his own heart, not reluctantly, but under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Be a cheerful giver, not because you feel compelled to give because the pastor is saying things. We should, we should aim to be cheerful givers, willing givers. That does not mean a sacrifice hurts a little bit sometimes. So it's gonna, it might sting a little bit to sacrifice. That's a good thing. That's okay to feel a sting for the kingdom. But as soon as you, you, you feel that, you say, thank God that I am able to give this sacrifice of the kingdom. And here's what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, 8. He says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things, at all times, you may abound in every good work. So that God has given you sufficiency so that you might abound in good works. Now, if you say, I don't have much, you know, I don't really have a lot to sacrifice, though, and my family's just making it, remember the might principle that Jesus talks about. Jesus looked up in Luke 21 and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And then he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. The lady put, who put in one coin put in more than everyone because it was more of a sacrifice for her. She put in all that she had. That's what I'm talking about, building upon Christ's kingdom with gold and precious stones. So, don't think you have too little to offer the kingdom. You have what the Lord has given you, and that's enough. Finally, 
the last sphere is family, money. The last sphere is other relationships, I'm calling it. And what I mean here is you have opportunities to snatch souls from hell through evangelism. Um, I want to I want to encourage you to think about evangelism not as an all or nothing endeavor, but as seed planting, and you can definitely plant seeds. Um, it could be years before this one person who you're talking about Jesus with, it could be years before that person turns around to accept Christ. And perhaps you won't even see that. You could, there's an A to Z, and perhaps somebody at point A, not ready to accept Christ at all, at point Z, they finally accept Christ and the Lord and Savior. You could be, your ministry to them could be at point C. Or Y. So just because you aren't necessarily seeing conversions happen does not mean that your seed planting is not important. It's very important. Don't neglect seed planting and having meaningful conversations for God's glory. There was a church one time, a local church in this area, I won't mention the name, but they're very active in evangelism and I respect that very much. However, one thing they do <coughs> is... In, these, um, in their evangelistic efforts on for, like street fairs and things like that, they share the gospel, and if somebody doesn't want to go further, they make them sign a piece of paper saying, I reject Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. <laughs> Who are you to think you're the door to the kingdom of God? That's ex exactly how you should not think about evangelism. Now, you, sh you can shake the dust from your feet at times, but we're called to plant seeds. Apollos waters, or I plant, Apollos waters, God gives the increase. You're not the Holy Spirit. You can't effect regeneration. That was a problem with about 100 years ago with the, a lot of evangelism crusades that they were psychologically pressuring people to accept Jesus and making false converts. I'm not the Holy Spirit. I can't make someone believe something. I can make them say words. I can make them feel awkward enough to say a prayer with me. I can even pressure them to go to, go to church. But I can't make them trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and commit themselves to be a repentant disciple. So see yourself as a seed planter. And there are times where you can harvest. Also, too, think about evangelism not as in terms of blurting out a memorized line. Think about evangelism as having an honest, thoughtful, straightforward conversation with people. Honest, straightforward, and thoughtful conversation about the people in which you really care for their souls. Why not just have a conversation about, hey, so what are your spiritual beliefs? I love that question. It just gets right to the point. A helpful way to talk about this is to think of Jesus in three ways. The revealer, reconciler, and ruler. 
the revealer, reconciler, and ruler. Christ reveals who God is and what he is like. He is the fullest revelation of God. He's the clearest explanation of the Father. That's what the scripture tells us. And that is what Christ talked about himself as, the fullest revelation. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So he's the reconciler. You know, don't, don't blame me about it. That's what Jesus said. And we just believe him. We believe him that he's the way, the truth, and the life. So we're offering that to you. He's also the ruler. Many people will say they believe in Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior, but they have, their life looks no different than before. Well, that's not true belief. Repentance and faith goes hand in hand. So think about talking, having Christ-centered conversations around those three points. He is the revealer, the reconciler, and the ruler. And I've had fruitful conversations in that vein. Lastly, think of evangelism not only about people making decisions, but about you making disciples. We're after disciples, not necessarily decisions. So I want to free you from feeling you have to psychologically pressure someone to say something. This, is, this needs to happen more organically. Now, you do need to proclaim at times, and there are times for very forthright conversation, but ultimately, you're after a disciple of Jesus Christ. So it might look like you inviting them to church. I read a poll one time that I think was like 52% of people don't come to church because they haven't been invited. And they would come if they were invited. So have people over for dinner to your house. Just have a spiritual conversation with them. Nydia did something good. She was with our neighbors. She wrote a note to our neighbors and gave them a basket full of treats or something. Cleaning supplies. Cleaning supplies. She left it at their door and there's an idea. Do you have neighbors? There's an idea. Gary made up packets for his, uh, for his co-workers, right? Oh, yeah. Packets with with tracks and some articles in there when he was leaving his job. I loved that. That almost brought a tear to my eye that Gary put, took the time to make these packets with articles and tracks and give them to the people that he knew for a few years. That was a good thing to do. Buy people a Bible. It's good to get a Bible in people's hands. Buy them a book from a good Christian author. There's a page, new page up on, on the website called Recommended Reading under under our resources tabs. One of the look at one of those books and buy them for somebody. I think that would be very good. Invite them to church. Seek to be an influence, a, an eternal influence in their life. You can do that. So that's what evangelism is. It is try it is aiming from somebody who upon whom the wrath of God abides to discipleship. And you might be the one to plant the seed. You might be the one to say the prayer and, and harvest and bring them to church. But do commit to planting seeds. Do commit to talking about Christ. Let not the words of Christ just reside in us, but let them flow out of us into the world. Seek to be a heavenly influence in the lives of other people. I would love if this church 
were built upon conversions. Not just church transfer, but conversions. So please, can you commit? Let's do this together. You want to, let's do a group project together. I am going to share the gospel this week with somebody. Who's with me? Who's with me? I got Mark Zumbo. I got Anna. got Gary. Who's up there? All right. All right. Elise and Wesley? Okay. Art? Art's always up for that. John Rude. Is that Khalil? Who else? I can't see back there. All right. Look, look around you. Who's raising their hands? Keep your hands up. If you've raised your hand, keep them up. Your neighbor holds you accountable. Your neighbor holds you accountable. Next week, next week, let's ask each other. I'll even ask from the pulpit next week. Let's share the gospel with somebody. And it would be very good if you invited them to church. All right, let me close. I know this has been a long one. The point is this. What will we offer to God? What will we offer to God in the kingdom? How will we build upon Christ's foundation? I want to encourage you to employ heaven, earthly things for heavenly good. Do not waste your life. Don't offer to God seashells and cars. Offer to God that which is precious in his sight. And seek to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. I'll end with this passage. For none of us lives to himself, Romans 14, 7 and 8, and none of us dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's.